You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. My name's Tim, I'm the Senior Minister here at St John's. Uh, It's great to be with you this morning as we continue uh, in this series uh, looking through 1 John, uh, which we've called uh, Walk in the Light, Uh, a series which is really very appropriate for Advent, uh, this season that we are celebrating uh, today in the lead up to Christmas. Uh, Advent is about um, remembering Jesus' first coming but also looking forward to Jesus' second coming, his return. Advent has uh, both of those things in mind, uh, and both of those themes appear very much uh, in the reading we've had today and which we'll pick up as well. I'd love you to have your Bibles uh, and have a look at uh, that chapter as we uh, look at it together. Uh, Here's a picture on the screen uh, of my family uh, as I was growing up. Uh, I'm probably about... I reckon I'm probably about six, maybe, in that photo, judging uh, from the age of my younger brother. Uh, that's just a snapshot uh, in time, really, that, that photograph. Uh, doesn't tell you much, it's just a snapshot of a single moment uh, in my family life. Uh, and yet, as you look at that, uh, you learn a few things uh, about me, perhaps. Uh, it tells you I had blonde hair. Yes, I had hair. Um, <laughs> And it was blonde. Um, It tells you uh, that I had a great sense of fashion, uh, even back then. Uh, More importantly than that, though, it tells you something about uh, family relationships. Uh, I'm a child of these two people that you see on the screen, Kevin and Elizabeth Johnson. Uh, You might find certain family resemblances if you look uh, more closely in the picture. tells you that I've got two siblings. I've got an older sister, Ruth, and a younger brother, Andrew. Um, That means I'm a middle child and suddenly so much falls into place. (laughs) Um, Now, again, it's just a single still image uh, of a moment in a family's life. But it does tell you some things about uh, who I am. But of course, uh, the influence of the people in that picture go far beyond can be captured in one snapshot. We know how much, for both good and ill, uh, our families influence and shape the way we live. When I'm uh, preparing couples for marriage, uh, one of the things I always get them to do is to to draw a picture of their family, to talk about uh, their family growing up. Uh, the way that families, their family communicated with each other, dealt with conflict, how they did traditions like Christmas. Uh, We have so many assumptions about the way that the world works because of the families that we've been part of. Um, And as people are preparing for marriage, they need to know that and prepare for that uh, as these two people from separate families with all of their assumptions come crashing together uh, in a new relationship and a new family. Whoever we are and whatever culture we've come from, uh, who we are and whose we are shape the way that we live. It matters. It's a key part of our identity. Uh, And this section of 1 John, uh, this chapter in a bit, is all about identity. It's all about who we are as 
children of God. Uh, It lays out the reality of that identity that we have, but also the implications of being a child of God and how we are to live. Uh, So I'd encourage you to have your Bibles uh, as we look at it together. Maybe you noticed as uh, Jan was reading how often these sort of family expressions, parent and child expressions, uh, came up throughout the reading. Paul, uh, sorry, not Paul, John, who's writing the letter, regularly uh, says, my dear children, he refers to the people he's writing to as children, expressing love and care for them. Uh, He talks about being born of God. Um, God as a loving father and us as children of God. And he's trying to say that if you are a Christian person, then this is your identity. This is who you are. You are a child of God. It's the same idea that John has presented in his gospel. So in John chapter 1, uh, verses 12 and 13, we read these words. Yet to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. John says that if we receive Jesus Christ, if we believe in Jesus, then we become children of God. It's a similar idea in John's Gospel where uh, the religious leader Nicodemus comes to speak to Jesus at night and Jesus says to him, you must be born again. You must be born again. Nicodemus is confused. He's thinking, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? But of course, Jesus is talking about a spiritual reality, uh, that we need a, a new start. When we come to faith in Jesus, where we put our trust in Jesus... Uh, We have a new beginning. We receive God's Holy Spirit. And we have a new relationship, a new status uh, with God. We're born of God and we become his children. That's exactly what's going on here in 1 John. Those who trust in Jesus, who make him their Lord, have a new identity. And it is a real identity. And it describes who you are right now if you are someone who follows Jesus. John says, dear friends, now we are children of God. Or in other versions, we are children of God now. It's a present reality. It is who we are. It's such an amazing, privileged status that John can hardly contain himself. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, he says. I think we can take for granted these sorts of things. We often read these things in the Bible. Uh, They tell us uh, what God has done for us, uh, who we are uh, in Jesus, uh, and yet we can lose the magnitude of what it means. How amazing is it that we get to be called God's children? The the holy, righteous, all-powerful God who created the entire universe just by speaking... Uh, says to me, says to you, no matter your murky past or whatever has happened, regardless of the things you've done wrong, the sins, the failings in your life, the times that you have rejected and ignored me, that's in the past. I'm bringing you into my family. I'm adopting you. I'm making you my child. You belong to me. 
I love you. You're precious to me. This is your new identity. This is who you are. You are my child. It's an incredible privilege. And it's a reality now. Uh, as we sit here today, we can say, that is who I am. I'm a child of God. It's a present reality. But it's also got future implications as well. Uh, John goes on to speak about the fact that we are being uh, transformed and changed as God's children. Uh, and in verse uh, 2 to 3, he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Again, this is, looking to the, this is looking to the second coming of Jesus, very appropriate for this Advent season. John's saying, when Jesus returns and we're face to face with him, then this process of transformation that we're going through will be completed. We'll see the full glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We'll meet him and we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. It's, it's stunning. You're a child of God now, but you're not all that you will be. When Jesus returns and you see his stunning beauty and glory, you'll be transformed fully uh, to be truly the person you're meant to be in the image of Jesus. It should raise our eyes and remind us of what amazing privileges we have in Jesus. Uh, some years ago, I was doing a, a placement, a student placement with the Salvation Army uh, in Burke Street at their drop-in centre. Uh, and one of the uh, young women who was working there had a tattoo on the uh, inside of her arm. Uh, and it was Hebrew writing, Hebrew script. Uh, and I'd been studying Hebrew at Theological College, so I thought I'll wade in and have a crack at a translation <laughs> of this tattoo. Um, you've got to put it to use somewhere, don't you? Um, uh, it was just a single, a single word in Hebrew script, uh, but the words were translated, his daughter, his daughter. She had it there imprinted on her arm as a regular and constant reminder of her identity, who she was, that she was a child of God himself. If you're ever tempted to doubt your value, your worth, then remember who you are. Or more importantly, remember whose you are. Remember that you have a new identity. You're a child of the living God. You're his daughter, his son. He's chosen you. He's brought you into his family. You belong to him. You're loved by him. You're precious to him. Uh, whatever happened in our earthly families, uh, you may have had lousy parents. You may have, have had a very difficult time um, in your earthly family, and you may want to completely disown any connection with a mother or father who hurt you. Uh, and I don't want to be naive or simplistic uh, about that. These things are, are complex and they're, they're hard to work through, uh, and they impact us in profound ways that take time to heal. But I do want to say that as a Christian person, if you are someone who trusts in Jesus, then 
those relationships don't define you, your relationship with God as Heavenly Father and you as his child is the most fundamental description of who you are, fundamental to your identity. You're defined by a new relationship, a new identity. You're a child of God. You belong to him. You're loved by him. You're safe with him. Uh, You are being and will be transformed more and more into the image of God who has made you his child. Uh, And really, this uh, new identity as, as children of God and how we are to live in light of that, if you like, how we are to reflect the family resemblance is what the rest of the chapter is all about. Uh, It's really about how then do we live if we are children of God, if this is truly how we are, what does this family look like? How should we live uh, if God has given us this amazing status? Uh, The first little section uh, really is about being children of God and what that means in terms of sin. Uh, Follow the logic uh, of what is said here in verses 4 to 10. Uh, Speaking about Jesus in verse 5, John says, but you know that he appeared, he's talking about Jesus' first coming, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. So in that one verse, there's two things said about Jesus. He appeared or came to earth as a human being in order to take away sin. His entire purpose in coming and being born in that manger in Bethlehem, living a human life, was to deal with sin. That was his mission, to take sin away, to deal with it, to defeat it as he went to the cross and rose to life. Secondly, in him there is no sin. The earthly life that he lived was a perfect human life. It was to show us uh, what a beautiful and good human life looked like, Um, putting God always in his rightful place, treating people well, never mistreating the creation that God has given us to be carers of. He was without sin. He lived the perfect life. But of course, our whole identity, as we've seen, as, as children of God, comes through Jesus. It's by receiving Jesus and being in relationship with Jesus that we are brought into the family and become children of God. Um, John says that we, we live in him. There's such a strong connection that we're united with him. We actually live in him. So close is the bond. But if he is without sin and his whole purpose in coming was to deal with sin and get rid of it, uh, and if we're connected with him or united with him, living in him, then Ongoing sin in our lives doesn't fit, it doesn't make sense, it isn't right because it's out of keeping with who we are and these new relationships that we're brought into. Uh, This is picked up again in the language of being children of God, bearing the family likeness, operating the way that the family operates with its values and ways of living. Uh, John, in his usual uh, black and white way, says actually uh, sin is more in keeping with being someone else's child being a child of the devil because sin and rebellion is his way of life and he's been like that from the beginning. So the way we behave, John says, reveals uh, who we belong to. Uh, Years ago when I was uh, a teenager, uh, my father was uh, speaking at the church that I was going to. Um, He just came as a visiting preacher 
Uh, and afterwards, one of my friends said it was just a bizarre experience watching your father up there because all of his mannerisms and the way that he spoke, it was, it was like watching you uh, up there. Because we reflect the family we come from, not just our mannerisms, uh, but also our values and the way that we live. Um, we tend to copy and replicate what our parents do. Uh, and John says... That's the way it should be for children of God. We should mimic our heavenly father. We should reflect his character. Um, One of the challenges, I think, of this section is the strength of the language. I don't know whether, as Jan was reading it, it really struck you how strongly he expressed things. Uh, Verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And then in verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, how do you make sense of that? I'm assuming that like me, you do have sin in your life. You struggle with it. You wrestle with it. You fail and fall constantly. How do we make sense of the fact that John says... um, You cannot go on sinning if you're a child of God. And how do we make sense of this strong language when John earlier has said sin is real um, and if we say that we don't have sin, we're deceiving ourselves and we need Jesus to forgive us and cleanse us constantly. The best answer I can give for what John is saying in this section where he uses such strong language is an illustration I heard um, Don Carson, a theologian and, and writer, give a few years ago. He says, imagine a classroom and uh, there's students sitting at their desks and the the teacher wanders around and the teacher notices that one of the students is uh, chewing gum Uh, and that's in complete contravention of the the school rules. Uh, And the teacher looks at the student and says, you cannot chew gum in this classroom. And it would be the wrong response of that student, wouldn't it, to go... Yes, I can. Of course I can. If, if it was impossible, I wouldn't be doing it. Look, nah, 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 nah. I am chewing gum. What do you mean I cannot chew gum in the classroom? Now, of course, the teacher didn't mean it's impossible to do it. Um, she knew. She could see. What she was saying was, this is completely out of step with the way that this classroom is to function and the rules. You cannot do it. It's, it's out of step with being a student at this school, uh, the way that you are to behave. That's what John is saying here. He's not saying that sin is impossible. He's saying that it's incongruent. It's it's out of step. If we are, in fact, children of God, God's brought us into this wonderful relationship, sin doesn't fit, it doesn't belong. It's something that we need to be getting rid of and not just accommodating in our life. We, We cannot do it because it doesn't fit with being a child of God. It doesn't fit with being part of this family. Return again to the image of the family. We often say in our family, um, when we're we're talking to our kids and behaviour, we we say things like, in our family, we do things this way. Um, We try and talk about sort of, this is is what we as a family do. So uh, one of my kids um, uh, came home from school and had picked up what one of the other kids was saying. Uh, She said, my God... Uh, and my immediate reaction was, 
what did you just say? <laughs> Sheepishly sort of repeated it. And I, I got a grip on myself because it, it does get my goat, that one, uh, and said, look, honey, in, a, in our family, we love God. God is so precious to us, so important to us, that we don't just say his name as a, as a swear word or because we're upset. We love God too much. Uh, that's not what we as a family do. Other people might say it. Other families might do it differently. But in our family, we don't speak like that. Um, it's about reflecting the family image, isn't it? The family resemblance. There's a certain way that God wants his children to live, wants us as a family, as his children, uh, to live together. We want to reflect him, and that means dealing with sin uh, in our lives, rooting it out, getting rid of it. It means taking time to ask God to regularly shine a spotlight in our lives and to say, where are those areas, God, that really aren't in step with being your child? Uh, It's about building a level of intimacy and trust in the family of God, in our church family, through our life groups, through the relationships that we share, that we can be honest with each other in challenging each other, um, uh, naming the areas that we're struggling with and helping each other with them. It's about when we're aware of sin in our lives, bringing it before God and confessing it to him, knowing that he forgives us, that he cleanses us, because Jesus has died for us. Uh, It means resolving to walk away, to repent of and and turn our back on the sins uh, that we struggle with and ask for God's strength and help uh, to do that and to put practical steps in place in the future to avoid it. This is all about bearing the family resemblance, living as a child of God, being the family of God as his children together, taking it seriously. So uh, John speaks about being a child of God and how we deal with sin. Uh, But of course he talks about being a child of God and love. This is, I guess, a positive uh, flip side of the family resemblance. Um, And again, the starting point for this is to look to Jesus, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. One of the the key characteristics of this family that we belong to is that it's characterised by love. We're brought into the family through love, the love of God, the love of Jesus for us. Uh, And love is the way that we are to reflect Uh, what this family looks like. Uh, And we model it by loving our brothers and sisters, uh, loving others who are in this family. Uh, John uses really strong language again. He says, anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Probably picking up Jesus' words about harbouring hatred for people in our hearts. Um, Jesus says that's the first step of murder or you murder them in your hearts, that the heart uh, is where things need to be dealt with first. And he uses the strong language again to show how out of step that is with the privileged status we have as God's children brought into the family through love. Now John has a lot to say about love uh, in this letter uh, and we've dealt with it at various other points, so I don't want to spend too long on this point. But one specific thing that he says that I think is important is in verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, 
but with actions and in truth. Uh, Love is more than just wishing people well but not doing anything to help them. Love involves concrete and specific acts towards our brothers and sisters and especially to those in need. Um, Now, when you come to church, there are certain things that you see happening in church, but there's lots of things that you don't see happening. Uh, In the life of this church, every single week, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of acts of love that take place from between brothers and sisters in this family. Uh, No one sees them all except God himself. They're often uh, unheralded and unnoticed, but they're there. Walking up and welcoming a new person at church who's um, no one's speaking to and they're a a little uncomfortable and someone goes up and speaks to them. Uh, People who open their homes and invite others over for a meal or a coffee and a chat. Uh, Phone calls that take place to someone who's not going well, someone checking up to seeing that they're okay. Uh, A card that gets written, a condolence card or a get well card or just a birthday card or an encouragement. Uh, People looking after other people's uh, children for them to give them a bit of a break for a few hours. Meals that get cooked for someone who's sick or struggling. I could go on uh, and you can probably think of a whole lot more than that. But there are all ways that we love in action and in truth and reflect the love that God has for us. So we reflect the family likeness by getting rid of sin in our life but also positively loving each other in real actions. Uh, And when we're doing these things, John says, then we can be assured that we are, in fact, God's children. That's where the passage ends, uh, today's passage ends, in verses 19 and 20. It says, This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Uh, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about people um, who have tender consciences. Um, some of you uh, are particularly good at perhaps condemning yourself, uh, thinking that you're not good enough for God, uh, and maybe even doubting your relationship with God. Uh, and if that's you, John really wants to write here in order to reassure you in particular. So if that's you, if you're someone who thinks, yes, I doubt that God would want me, I doubt that God would love me, I doubt that I am actually in this real living relationship with God, uh, this is especially for you. Now, obviously, uh, our consciences are given to us by God uh, as a guide to right and wrong. Uh, One of the ways that God uh, does convict us of sin is by our conscience bringing things to our attention. But at the same time, Satan uh, wants to accuse us and make us doubt our relationship with God and that God would love us uh, and doubt our identity as children of God. And couple that with the fact that in contemporary culture and contemporary Christian culture, uh, our feelings are often taken as as a true guide of uh, how we're going. And sometimes we uh, treat our feelings as the test of 
our relationship with God and the quality of our faith. But the trouble is, feelings go up and down, and sometimes when our feelings are down and we're feeling low, uh, we think, well, there's a problem in my relationship with God because I don't feel it particularly at the moment because life's a struggle or I'm conscious of some failings in my life. Uh, And John is wanting to reorientate our thinking here, Uh, and he wants us to say, uh, he wants to say that... um, When our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Look to the reality of what God has said of who we are. Look at the reality of our identity. Uh, We can look at the actions and the things that are going on in our life. We can look at the fact that uh, are we getting rid of sin in our life? Are we loving other people? Is there evidence that we're obeying the commands of God? Uh, If we're doing those things, that's great. That's assurance that God is at work in our lives and we are living as his children. But in the times of doubt, God is greater than our hearts. Sometimes our conscience and our feelings uh, let us down. We get it wrong. We think that we're out of step with God when we're not. Uh, And when that happens, come back, John says, to the basics of the Christian faith. Verse 23. This is his command. This is God's command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. How do you know if you're a child of God? Well, the way you become a child of God is by believing in Jesus. Um, sometimes we may not feel like God would want us. Sometimes we feel might feel like God wouldn't love us. Sometimes we might feel like... Um, God is distant from us, and where is God at this moment? But what makes us a child of God is not that we feel that it's the case. We become children of God by believing in Jesus. We come back to that basic. If we put our trust in Jesus, if we are looking to Jesus, if we're holding on to Jesus even in the midst of the hard times, that is what makes us a child of God. And love each other. Believe in Jesus and love each other. That's it in a nutshell. Our consciences can mislead us. Our feelings can go up and down. But what determines whether we are children of God, what determines whether we're in relationship with him and stand forgiven before him is belief in Jesus Christ who brings us into the family and then loving each other as a result of that. I want you to remember today that if you are someone who trusts in Jesus, then you are a child of God. You are his daughter, you are his son, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are precious and part of the family. Keep believing in Jesus, keep looking to him, and keep living as a member of that family, reflecting the family resemblance, reflecting the character of God and his son, Jesus Christ, who's called us into this family. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and grace that you call us your children, that you make us part of this new family. We thank you. Help us to know this identity as a reality now and help us to keep growing into the family likeness, getting rid of sin, growing in deeper love for each other, 
Uh, and thank you for the assurance that you give us that we will see Jesus face to face and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.